This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Straight up, Mack Weldon is more comfortable than whatever it is you're wearing right now. They are a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. I love Mack Weldon so much. They sponsored the show a couple years ago, and I, I got some stuff, and I've continued to buy their stuff. I'm wearing their stuff right now, their underwear. They have amazing shorts. They have amazing sort of like joggers. I love them so much, okay? There's no reason that you should not try this out. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order by using the promo code WORDS, W-O-R-D-S, 20% off. This stuff is the best, most comfortable, straight up, okay? Just do it right now. WORDS, 20% off, MacWeldon.com, okay? There you go. Now with the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. How are you doing? This afternoon, evening, morning. I'm well. I'm Ray Harkins. We're hanging out, talking. This is a, a special episode because we are doing one of our sort of buried treasure, um, you know, overlooked bands of a particular genre of music. And I brought a, uh, a friend of the show who he's never been on the show, uh, but he plays in a great band. His name is Josh Robbins. He plays in a band called Late Bloomer which uh, just recently released a record on 6131 Records and uh, put out an EP, I want to say in 2015, that I really enjoyed. And uh, just a really good band. We talk a lot on social media and uh, over email as well. And I was like, you know what? They, they, they have a new record out. This would be cool to talk about uh, something that is not even remotely related to the sound <laughs> that the band has. Because Late Bloomer is kind of a um, sort of, you know, mid-90s emo indie rock sort of thing. Uh, not too dissimilar to like, you know, Braid and bands of that nature. But we decided to dive deep into uh, all things 90s and early 2000s metalcore. Because uh, that is a genre that both uh, him and I love and we were able to pick four records a piece and we talked about them and we talked about so much more stuff and we we go we go really deep in the archives for this but uh I want to talk to you about some other things I want to talk to you about one band merch because let me tell you I have some band merch from the mid 90s I actually was wearing a uh, disembodied 1998 tour shirt yesterday myself and I was looking at it, I'm like, man, this thing's 20 years old and it still holds up in the sense of it's like the ink hasn't, you know, cracked and fallen apart or whatever. And uh, I love band merch so much that I want to tell you about rockabilia.com. Rockabilia is the spot to buy band merch from, you know, your favorite hardcore bands, metal bands, pop bands, whatever it is you are into, they have it. And they will give you 15% off when you use the code PCJabberJaw. You've, uh, if you've listened to an episode over the course of the past six months or so, you've heard me talk about this, but they have half a million items. It's amazing. They got sweatshirts, long sleeves, whatever you need, they will outfit you. And uh, they sent me a while back a NXS t-shirt, a tour shirt from like 1993. I was so excited about it because, uh, you know, I could, I could tell that they probably only had one or two of these things left. So they sent it out to me came out super quick. Customer service is great if you ever have any questions. And uh, it's 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 co-owned by a hardcore kid. I actually got to know uh, Frankie, one of the co-owners, a little bit over email. And uh, yeah, we just, uh, it's, it's exciting because I just always like it when people take these whole DIY principles and, and do their own thing with it. And that's exactly what Rockabilly is. So PC Jabberjaw, use that code 15% off. Okay. 
And I also want to talk to you about Sound and Fury. So for those of you that aren't aware, Sound and Fury is a hardcore music festival based in the Southern California area. Um, it was the, you know, obviously the 2018 edition of it. Um, myself and my good friend and friend of the show, Joey Cahill, we ran it for a couple of years, 2011 to 2013. So three years we ran it. And then uh, a couple of years it went dormant because, uh, you know, frankly, we were just exhausted. <laughs> we were tired. Um, didn't really feel like putting it on. And, uh, so yeah, we basically, uh, you know, let it, let it lie dormant for a couple of years. And then, uh, you know, we figured out, uh, a structure in which the original owners of the festival came back in and put it on. And that's what they've been doing ever since, uh, 2000, was it 2016? I want to say, yeah, 2016 is when they kicked it back off and they did two years at the, uh, Regent theater. And, uh, this year was at the Belasco, which is in downtown Los Angeles. And the reason I'm talking about it now is because, uh, I just, I love this festival so much. It brings me such joy to see all of these kids from, you know, all walks of life and all ages, you know, whatever, 15 year olds all the way up to, you know, early to mid forties, if not even older than that. (laughs) But, uh, there's something that is so extremely powerful of being in a room with, you know, a thousand plus kids all singing the words to, you know, some of the headlining bands and, you know, even some of the opening bands as well. I only went one day on Saturday, but I got to see like Cold World, Fury, uh, Ceremony, um, Trail of Lies, a bunch of awesome bands. And it, uh, it really makes me happy to still care about the genre of music that I got exposed to some 20 odd years ago. And, um, you know, I know that that doesn't happen for everybody, And I understand that and I appreciate that. I mean, it's not to say that I I just only listen to hardcore in my life because uh, that's definitely not the case. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, obviously, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I just, I want to, you know, tip my hat to, to Sean and Martin who run the festival now. It, uh, it, it is a huge undertaking and, uh, to have that thing go off without a hitch is, is awesome. So you need to go. Okay. If you are like kind of, you know, teetering on the edge, be like, Oh, I don't know, man, it's kind of expensive. I don't live close there. I don't live in Southern California. I got to like fly and travel. It's uh, it's really worth your time and, uh, you'll make new friends and just have great experiences. So sound and fury go in 2019. Okay. That's my, uh, <laughs> that's, that's my recommendation. So, uh, yeah, like I said, Josh plays in a band called late bloomer, Great record that just came out recently on six one three one, and you 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 just you if you like hardcore and metalcore, you will find a lot of value in this because you know I talk about some bands that were in like the mid to late nineties. You know Josh digs in a little bit to bands who were kind of you know at the in the early aughts as they call them, but uh, we have some really fun discussions about this because uh, there are bands that um, you know just kind of get shuffled away over time, and we don't think that that should be the case. So. We talk about four records piece and uh, yeah, enjoy. Here's a buried treasure episode. Metalcore. Boom. Sounds good. Well, uh, yeah, like I was saying before recording, thank you for wanting to do a, uh, a deep dive on the uh, metalcore buried treasure tip. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's also interesting to think about 
um, I would assume kind of the different entry points that we had mm-hmm. into it. So I'm, I'm very interested to like talk to you about it because I think that I, well, I feel like I came to it when it had kind of blown up, but maybe I left and it's like bigger now. So I don't know where metalcore really resides now other than, you know, kind of hardcore that calls itself uh, or metalcore that calls itself hardcore. Yeah. Oh, I I definitely think it, it, you know, at a critical mass in the early two thousands, I think it was, uh, you know, it like, I think you could basically, you know, just release any band that had a metallic, you know, hardcore influence on, you know, Ferret, Trustkill, Eulogy, anything like that. And that band was like already going to have some sort of notoriety no matter what, you know? And it's like, yeah. I, I, lo- I don't know why I always cast so much shade on this band, but like there's a band, uh, Red Roses for a Blue Lady. Um, I, I think there were certain bands where I just did not, based on their name, yeah. Oh, uh, no, they're terrible. Yeah. They're and like, again. Oh, so I was right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. All, <laughs> like I just could not. I could not mess with it, even for the all only- all of the trappings that would set it up for me to potentially like it. You know, released on Eulogy. Um, you know, metallic influenced hardcore. I was just like, oh man, this is terrible. But I think because of that, it's like people paid attention to it immediately because it already had that you know built in sort of fan base or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but there were some bands that are actually. Are we recording now? Oh yeah, we're in. We're, oh we're, wow, we're, I know well, you got me. <laughs> uh, there were some bands that were. It's it's I don't you know like sometimes where you like if I don't know if I'm like just talking to like I don't know my dad or something like he can't tell the difference and you know uh, like certain things like he still thinks I'm in like screamy bands is what he calls them. Um, <laughs> right, you know, even, or like even though cussy le- bands, right? Even though right. Le- late bloomer could not be furthest removed no, from that. Yeah, to him, it's like he's just kind of like I can tell what you're saying a little more, um, but you know, it's, it's still you know evil music to him or something. Uh, but you know, like thinking about like I can't even remember the band name that you just said, but you know, uh, but like even like bands like that are way different though that are like love lost but not forgotten. Oh yeah, uh, but it's like. I don't know, like you, if you're in it, you can sort of sniff out the posers, I guess is like a bad way to say it. You know, it's like somehow that name rings true to me more than, um, I don't even remember that band name you said, but Red Roses for a Blue Lady. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And I think like, I'm going to forget it again. Um, but you know, like love is red, but though, for instance, like I felt like I was cool with, but by the token, I feel like I probably would have, I don't know. I think that, that even took like a plunge with people like, no, you need to check them out. Yeah. You know? And, and I think a lot to your point, (laughs) to your point, a lot of those bands too, the only way that they kind of, you know, uh, lived on was either one of two ways. One where they just, you know, like love is red, just toured a ton and they were kind of in everybody's face and, or they existed for such a short period of time and had a really, really like pivotal release, you know, like it would like love lost, but not forgotten. It's like, they don't, they didn't put out very much, but like, yeah. I, I remember taking played a, uh, run of shows with them up in Canada and they, they were awesome. And it was just like, they had that time and place. And that's kind of why that band name would like live on as opposed to others that just get, you know, they put out one full length and then it kind of dies. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or it dies today. Yeah. Oh, dude, love that one. <laughs> first EP, so brutal. So well, brutal. The cat, oh, the Catliff Choir isn't the first. That's like the first full length, right? Yeah, Forever Scorned, which is oh. yeah. I just <laughs> I had that. I had that CD. It was so good. Uh, it was so good. It was. Then they had, I think, something after Catliff Choir where they kind of sang more. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that kind of lost me, but you know. Yep. But I, I have younger friends that you know they. It's like people that are basically like almost 10 years younger than me. Right. And it's so weird to think of their their entry point into like metalcore. And they'll they'll talk to me and be like, so you like, uh, I don't know, bring me the horizon. I'm like, no, like that was not that was, you know, it was kind of like at the tail end of me really paying attention a lot. Right. Um, and that was not because that was it was like the, that band just went straight to Warp Tour. Mm hmm. From my eyes, I mean, maybe I just don't see the toil that went in to, you know, uh, their rise, you know. But to me, it was just like talking to me about job for a cowboy right? or something, you know. It's just like, I guess they got a lot of MySpace followers and then got signed automatically off of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, I, I think that that was Dave, that was basically when the evolution of metalcore evolved into, the you know, the whole notion of of deathcore, where it's like these bands they didn't, you know, they had the same sort of principles as, you know, metalcore as far as like, you know, hardcore kids playing metal, but they didn't really exist in a scene. And plus they had much bigger aspirations than, you know, VFW halls. Yeah. And there were so many, even deathcore bands that, I mean, to me, like when I first heard the term, term deathcore, it was really like to explain dying fetus. Like it wasn't, like at the time that I remember first hearing that, it was what people would call like Lang Shay, Dying oh, yeah. Fetus, and yeah. like Misery Index. It was kind of like these are death metal bands that have like groove to them. And then eventually that was like a term that was used to describe like animosity, you know, or um, I don't know if you remember that band. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they were. Uh, I remember the animosity had a shirt that had animosity, but in, in the letters it had Louis Vuitton logos. Of course. Or, uh, yeah. or, or they were all, they were also the band that really, really harpooned the foil print. They did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Them. And, uh, I feel like Acacia strain probably had stuff like that yeah. back during that time frame. Def- uh, definitely. Yeah. But I remember hearing Acacia strain for the first time, probably from like, HXC MP3. I guess that was the Christian thing. So it might have been like pure volume, but it was like before 3750. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. And it was like to, to like kind of think like that band now. And also, like, I feel like I blame Acacia Strain for giving us a mirror. So, you know, it's like forever kind of tampered in my head uh, for my memories of it. Uh, you know, they're yeah. to blame for things like a mirror. But I don't know. I mean, I I fucked heavily with yeah Acacia Strain at the time, uh, so I don't know. I guess that's kind of like where um, the conversation goes with it. Um, I guess kind of like the point of like I don't know. I guess I'm I'm interviewing you now. How did you get into metalcore? No, I hey the, this, this isn't even my podcast. No, it's perfect. This is it, they yeah. call they call the segues in the biz. <laughs> I figured, but yeah. Uh, that's what it's called. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was, 
I, I definitely was attracted to it via, you know, Victory Records as far as, you know, bands like Earth Crisis, Snapcase and Strife, but then also the, you know, more artistic side, like bands like, you know, Guilt and Dead Guy. But, um, you know, as I started to, you know, dive deeper into it, it was like, I mean, you'll, you know, you'll notice uh, as far as the, the list I sent over was concerned, it was like, I definitely followed labels, you know, in the same way that I know many people did that are of a certain age. And so, uh, as I started to fall in love with a, a record label, I was like, Hey man, as long as they put stuff that is like, you know, metalcore adjacent, I'll probably follow it in some capacity. And even if it's not, I'll probably still listen to it and, you know, and <laughs> broaden my horizons or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I was, I mean, victory is just that that's the, the foundation in which a lot of my other stuff was built off of, even though, you know, most people would just call that, you know, hardcore, but, uh, you know, I definitely had, yeah. it, it had that same, the, the metallic I tried sound. To, yeah. I tried to stick with things on my list that I felt like without question could be metalcore bands. Sure. You know, cause it's like when you get to things like I never, I remember hearing fall silent for the first time and I don't think I even knew what metalcore was at that time. Or maybe someone was like, they're metalcore. It's like punk metal or something, you know? Because it's like, they're pretty punky uh, um, in a lot of ways. Um, especially the album that had like the heart cover on it. Um, you know, so it was like, I didn't really know what metalcore was at that time. It's like growing up in um, Wilmington, North Carolina, it was, you kind of just went to shows. Like, uh, you know, so you just kind of went to anything. So it's like some nights you're seeing a street punk band and some nights it's a heavy band was what you called it, you know? So, I mean, I don't, I, I f always feel like looking at like Southern California as a kid was just, it was like the promised land, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if that's how like every, but it's like 18 visions and stuff. And it was just like these bands, you saw pictures and there'd be just a thousand kids at every show. It looked right. like, you know, <laughs> no, it, uh, it was, uh, it was a very special time from that perspective, just because there was a lot of, uh, the ground was fertile. Obviously a lot of bands started to play around the same time and exist and share members. And, um, you know, e even though every band was kind of doing their own little twist on it, there was, like mm -hmm. you said, there was enough that you could, I mean, I so distinctly remember playing a show at Chain Reaction to where, you, I mean, you said thousands and it was like, you know, Chain Reaction, I think the capacity at that venue legally now is like, I want to say 250, 300. And I remember one time it was like, you know, 18 Visions bleeding through, taken, uh, maybe throw it out. I can't remember the lineup, but it was just, you know, basically all local hardcore bands. But it's like, there was like 800 some odd tickets sold for this thing. And it's like, you should not fit that many people. I mean, you couldn't even open the doors to the venue. It's like, it could have not been more of a fire hazard. But I do think that the, what you experienced from the outside looking in was very, it, you know, it's very reflective and true. Uh, it, it was a, a special time. And like, there was just so much, you know, e even these smaller bands that like started to, th these are bands that you would never have heard of bands like, um, uh, first day somber, uh, <laughs> where it was like, it, it, these, these are bands that just like played shows alongside. And there was also like a band called weir and a band called wrench and like all these bands just because yeah. there was so many shows going on and it all kind of, you know, ping ponged around each other. But anyway, I remember, I remember I asked, it was recently, I, I was listening to another like hardcore podcast, ax to grind, and they mentioned like that band Creature, and I remember that band. 
And so I texted Joey about it and he was like, how do you know creature? And, and it was like, I don't know. I just knew collapse records. Like, you know, just from like, I don't know. I don't know if I could, if someone started playing creature, I don't know if I could remember, but I think I remembered because of like the skateboard company. Uh, you know, it was like, you know, just like things you kind of picked up like before the internet was good. I don't know. It was like, there was the internet, but it was like, I don't know. I just used it to go to like wrestling websites or something. Like there wasn't really any way to find out about the scene. Like you would just get a CD from like a friend or like a burnt copy. So you didn't have less information, you know, but like whenever I guess like where I started and felt like I got into it and this is where I'm referencing my great notes that I write wrote down is I feel like my, my brother, he brought, he brought a no effects tape home and operation Ivy tape home. And they're, you know, definitely no one would say that those are metalcore bands, but, um, you know, it was just, it was just like, I didn't even know what I was being hit with. Like before that it was, you didn't, I, I don't know. You just had no access to it. Like if you listen to the radio as like a 11 year old or however old I was, there was no way to, um, to, to really be exposed to punk. And at the time there wasn't really any way to play music on your computer. <laughs> so it was like, how did people find out about music, you know, around that time? You know I mean? Yeah. I guess it's kind of a rhetorical question, but it's like, you just had friends. You had that guy. Yep. You know, yeah. You had that shed that just had like burnt CDs, but it's like, who had a CD burner? Like that one friend whose dad, like, the one rich person or something, you know, <laughs> and they burnt CDs for everyone, sold them or yeah. something. Or, or it was really like, I think mainly what happened is one kid would buy a CD and then would loan it to his friend and then they would make a tape copy of it. And then you would put like five whole albums on that one tape. Um, and then probably you would make a copy of that tape for somebody else. And then who knows by the time you got down the line, like, what it even sounds like yeah Uh, but i remember we played we played the operation ivy uh tape just like the top of the tape was cracked and we would like take it like you know skateboarding and like bmxing and it just like broke the tape but it was just all of it was punk music to us like it was you know anything from social distortion you know no effects even like hot water music and it was just all like punk music so it did we didn't really have any distinction with it and then eventually one day my brother brought home uh the sick of it all album uh scratch the surface mm-hmm. and it was i remember at the time like holding my ears and being like this is too much like i can't i can't process like this. i'm okay i'm okay with like listening to like five iron frenzy or mustard plug you know but this is just too much like in my mind at that time it was kind of like i'm here and this is here and I'll, I just know where I, what I like. <laughs> uh, so it felt like at a time, but I think like why it started shifting was just kind of like what you had available in town. It was, there weren't really that many ska bands, but it was still this, that idea that you just went to shows. And I don't know if that's how it felt growing up for you. I assume so. You just kind of went to whatever was going to, if you were allowed to, or somehow able to get out of the house. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah there, there's a little bit of that, but there was definitely, uh, I mean, just because of, of the fertile music ground living in Orange County, you definitely had a lot of different options. And I think because of that, you had a lot of different exposure to a lot of different types of music because of um, just the ability for bands to play so many different places from, you know, actual venues to, you know, DIY spaces and whatever. So there's, you know, there, I don't, I mean, I think when you're younger, you kind of, you know, I mean, I, I remember in high school, I had a girlfriend who was into ska and I couldn't stand ska whatsoever besides like a very small handful of bands. But, you know, I would go to shows with her and then she would go to shows with me and like, I, I would, I felt bad for her because it's like she, she was getting punished by like, Hey, I'm going to take you to see vision of disorder and bloodlet. And it's like, you know, <laughs> that that's one thing. But then like me experiencing, you know, a third rate, you know, terrible ska band called Grover's headache is like, that's, that's fine. I can handle <laughs> that. But like, it's just, it was mean when I was doing that. But yeah, I, I feel like when the, the reason that kind of ska was kind of big in my house, um, was we had this, like I was raised really religious. Like we were the kind of the thing that I tell people I was raised is Pentecostal, but it was actually apostolic, which is essentially like Pentecostals that said that's not strict enough. And so, you know, so there was like we didn't have a TV for a long period of time, you know, and we just like read books and, you know, it was it was really strict household like when you went out in public it was kind of strange not so much for like the men because they just wore pants and dressed normal but you know like my stepsister and my mom my stepmom um they wore like long dresses and everything so like religion was like a huge part of uh you know growing up so you kind of you kind of just figured out ways to kind of sneak stuff in you know because like after we got out of like private school we you know kind of realized like you know, you're like in whatever year this was and you're like, Oh, this is what people like. Before that, it was kind of like, we would just listen to like Carmen or, you know, DC talk or whatever kind of Christian rock, like audio adrenaline and stuff. Like, I don't know if any of that is even, you know what that is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yes. we just kind of snuck it in, you know? And so like ska was really easy to sneak in. Like you could, Start with the Five Iron Frenzy CD, and I don't even think we were this conscious of it. But if you brought a Lesson Jake CD, they don't. My dad didn't notice a difference. He just—I remember him telling me, like, because we were listening to like Ska Party '99 comp CD, and then he was like, "This is clown music. Like, I don't understand why you all like this." But you could, you know, start bringing like Against All Authority in, and they just didn't pay attention anymore because it all just sounded like clown music. So I think like by that token, we kind of just like slight, slowly broke them down. And then eventually you were just listening to Stretch Armstrong. And then if they got the CD, um, I mean, they were a Christian band, so you could like kind of tell like everything on this label on Tooth and Nail is Christian. So they'd be like, it looks evil, you know. but I'll let you keep this living sacrifice CD or something, you know, yeah. like that. Um, it's like, I don't understand what they're saying and it sounds like devil music, but there's this part about God in it, you know, and every once in a while you'd come home and there'd be a CD broken or something because they figured out it was, you know, like no effects had murder the government. Um, 
you know, so, you know, you just kind of like snuck stuff in and that's kind of like how we got into like heavier music too. Um, and there was like a big, in North Carolina, there was a huge, like, you know, Christian hardcore scene. So you just, like I mentioned, you went to shows like, and, um, my aunt and uncle managed this like Christian nightclub. I think they called a light club from what I remember. (laughs) (laughs) It was called the Ark. Um, and one of the bands that was kind of like, it was like, we had a hometown band in Wilmington and it was just like, like they always got to open all the cool shows. They would play with like showbread and stuff like that. There would be other Christian bands that would play this club. You like, you pretty much had to be a Christian band to play this club. But every once in a while, if you were a screamy band, no one could really tell. So, you know, it was like, um, I don't know if you remember the band Uriah Omen. Uh, they were, but you would remember what they became. They became He Is Legend. Um, but it. before they were uh, He Is Legend, they were called Uriah Omen, and they were a metalcore band. And uh, they just played every kind of show that you know came through. Them and The Residents, uh, which was a few years later, that became The Hotness. Uh, oh yeah, I remember that. Band. that yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's signed to Ferret. Yep. Uh, and they did a record, and then I think they did a record on Tragic Hero mm-hmm. as well. Uh, you know, but they were they were like our friends, and we were like, you know, that was kind of like where you felt because they were bands in Wilmington, and that was a, it was a lot harder to kind of like become a popular band that like made it out like in Eastern North Carolina. It's like kind of isolated from even the rest of the state. Um, it's, you know, it's like there's coastal towns and then you kind of drive through the rural areas for like two and a half hours until you're to like the next big city. Um, and so all these bands, like either they were from bigger cities coming to Wilmington for whatever, you know, if Charlotte's a B market, then Wilmington was, I don't know, C or D market, you know? So, right. Uh, so a lot of the tribunal bands kind of came through since that was around that area. Uh, so you had like kill Whitney dead. Yep. Um, you know, and I think, uh, I'm trying to think of other like tribunal bands. I know animosity put out mm-hmm. yeah. a record on uh, tribunal, but it, the joke that I kind of had like later on, it felt like a lot of bands that were on tribunal. It's like, that's kind of where they went to die. And that, I yeah, I, I think that that was a little, that was a little bit later on because basically, I mean, all of those, you know, tribunal was such a huge, uh, function of, you know, prayer for cleansing, a tray, you like basically a lot of bands stepping off points. And then they had a, you know, a year or two of bands that they were kind of, you know, trying to bring up and releasing before they went off to, you know, other labels or whatever. But then, yeah, I think it just all kind of came. I mean, in hindsight, the same thing happens in most label situations or bands that kind of make it to that point. Um, I remember the metalcore band that I was in at the time, like we played with Kill When You Did and uh, Matt Tribunal. I think he's probably just being nice. Like he was like, record with Jamie King and we'll talk about, putting out your uh your record or whatever it was going to be right and you know and that was just like whoa you know like uh so we were like well i don't know if we have jamie king money so we'll record with the guy from this band zombie guts um which is these are all just like bands that didn't really make it out Uh, i mean jamie king's like a name obviously that people know 
but there were so I just have like a list of bands that basically like just have been kind of forgotten by time. Like there's Kill When He Dead. Um, Each Passing Moment was one. Classic Struggle. And I feel like they kind of made it out. Um, then there was Aria. Oh, yeah. Which went on to be uh, Stained Glass Romance. Uh, and Glass Casket, which of course. I'd say doesn't really fit in this list. Uh, <laughs> and But, you know, kind of just, I guess, got assumed by Between the Bear and Me. So yep, they did. good for them. Um, you know, and then the hotness, as I mentioned, and end of all was like a huge band from the, like they could pack out like the venues in town. Oh, for but sure. I don't remember unless, you know, I don't think that band ever got signed to anything as far as I remember. Like they were just a big local, not even local, just kind of regional band, you know? Yep. And no. like, yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Uh, before, before, because I, I think you and I could probably talk for an hour just. On, I think it, I don't the, even know. the un, yeah, the, the, unrelate, the unrelated projects. But uh, how Ooh. about how about you uh, start start our lists uh, off with uh, you know your first selection into the uh, you know the, the the buried treasure as it were. I th- I you know I got to say thank you for stopping me because I didn't know where it was really going to stop uh, <laughs> yeah. in my list because it was kind of like this could go on forever and he's not stopping me so I guess I'll just go through my whole. <laughs> It's my pleasure. Yes. That's what I'm here uh, for. Ooh, thank you. Uh, so, yeah. So to start my list, one of the uh, I'm trying to think like where to start it. Uh, it doesn't matter. So, Burnt by the Sun, Perfect is the Enemy of the Good. Yeah, great record. Uh, yes, a really great record. Like that. Like the band I was in when I lived in Wilmington was just straight up Burnt by the Sun worship, played by people that did not have the chops to be playing burnt by the sun worship. Um, that's, that's usually what what most bands do. (laughs) And that is not a band that you No, I I think if you have to have the chops or if whatever version you're going to do is not going to be good. (laughs) Like, yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. If you're trying to rip off a super technical band and, uh, yeah, you're going to fail miserably, especially when you're talking about, you know, the players that they had, which were, you know, like adults. And then when you're a kid trying to play that stuff, you're just going to sound terrible, but it's okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I know that, that album specifically, I think because like, since I had kind of come out of punk or like, you know, as a younger kid, so like that had like a message, you know, like it was about, you know, I mean, it's a very political record. Um, so that was like super enticing to me. Um, yeah, so I don't know. So that's a one that still sticks with me. Yeah, that I remember that band. You know, when they they released that first self titled EP, and uh, I, I was already like, did you like Endeavor going into it, or did you even know who Endeavor was going into? I didn't it? know who Endeavor was. I mean, I think, I mean, I was familiar later on, just because you can kind of look that stuff up now. But um, I, you, I mean, you talked with the singer of uh, Burnt by the Sun. Like yes. not that long ago, I so I listened to that episode, um, and I mean that's probably told me everything I need to know about Endeavor. But yeah, I didn't really know, um, and I didn't necessarily know Dave Witt at the time. You know, like it was or Witty. You know, uh, you know, I don't even know if anyone knew around that time. I mean, I know he had done a bunch of stuff, but I mean, Municipal Waste would probably be a bigger. Yeah, I don't know what was bigger really, but. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I mean, Endeavor was pretty small, so it's like, but yeah, I just remember the first EP came out, and it was like, it, you know, just completely, you know, captivated, like, me and my friends out here, and uh, especially 
um, you know, the, uh, the vocalist of curl up and die, uh, Mike is one of his favorite vocalists of all time. And so I just remember us, him and I geeking out so hard about it. And then I think we saw them, they played Hellfest in 2000, I want to say, and it was just, you know, he, Mike's vocals were just oh, so brutal. And, uh, yeah, but that, that record is really good. And it was just a, I mean, they, they got exposure, but they definitely did not get anywhere, uh, near the recognition that I think, you know, I know relapse was hoping for and, you know, the sort of career aspects that I know the band was kind of, you know, trying to strive for, but great. There were so many of those bands that were probably like my favorite bands that that's their story. Um, you know, like they just like, I, I think that that kind of like little bit extra there, I mean, they were kind of a weird band. Like that don't, it's like, did people in metalcore around that time want to hear a message, you know, in yeah. kind of like to be like, it's like, you know, it's like they were a complicated band, but not in a sense that it was like ion dissonance or something where you're like listening to them be complicated. Like it was in a way that you felt like was, you know, pretty palatable, but still not black by heart, you know, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it was like, you could tell it's metalcore, but it's doing a lot more than that. Yeah. Uh, oh, and sure. yeah, I think what's also kind of what I just remembered, I think at some point before like heart of darkness, that last record they did, mm-hmm. did they weren't, didn't they make some announcement that they were going to continue on as burnt by the sun, but they got a new singer. Uh, that I don't remember. I don't, yeah, I, don't. I swear that happened. And I swear <laughs> okay. that it was the dude that did this in every band around that time. The guy that joined through the eyes of the dead. Uh, what was that guy's name? Uh, Mike Johnson, not Mike. Uh, he, he joined through the eyes of the dead. Oh, and this might tie he was, into he, he was in premonitions of war as well. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. I know exactly who what you're talking about. Name? I can't remember. But that guy. Yeah. And, but I guess I'll let you go to your list unless you have more to add to Burnt by the Sun. No, no. Great, great selection though. It's definitely very representative of a time, but, um, yes, the uh the band that i wanted to select first was uh torn apart nothing is permanent and so that uh yeah that ca- they came out on life sentence records i want to say that came out like 96 ish maybe uh they're from baltimore i actually randomly got a chance to see they did a reunion show gosh i don't know 2000 uh, 2005 2006 maybe i was working at century media at the time and i flew out to tour to do like a small east coast run with turmoil um when they Mm -hmm. when they reformed and started playing shows again and then i was just out in the east coast and i i don't even know how i heard someone told me that torn apart was going to do a reunion i was in philly and i uh i I went down and uh, to baltimore and they played a show in front of like 150 people and it was awesome but um they definitely uh just i the dude's vocals could not have been more brutal it was so so harsh and it was everything that I loved as far as the metallic hardcore was concerned. And, um, yeah, I just think it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was incredible. And I think that record, it still holds up sonically too. Cause I think they, um, I, th- especially in the mid nineties when bands were recording records at studios that were terrible, um, they, you know, that you get what you pay for, but bands that put like, even just like, you know, a thousand dollars into recording, like that lasts them a much longer period of time. Yeah, I yeah, I'm not I I mean, were they they were an East Coast band, you're you're saying. I assume if they reunited in Baltimore. Yes. Uh, they, yeah, they were they were from Baltimore. It, but you were I guess they were a little earlier on 
from when I would have. So yeah, I've actually never heard of that band, um, which is interesting. But yeah, because I mean, they they put out they also put out a EP on Ferret and then a full length on Ferret. Um, but the the first EP on Ferret's awesome. This full length, nothing nothing is permanent, is really good. The full length that came out on Ferret, I think it's like, oh man, I can't even remember it because it didn't really resonate with me that much. It's like, you know, something to the effect of like rock and roll killing machine or something like that. Oh, um, that might've kept me away from it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it could, Cause they, I could tell they were just trying to shift into kind of a different sound at that point. They were like, okay, we're not just this metallic hardcore band anymore, but, um, but yeah, life sentence. Great. Uh, great label. Yeah. I love, I love that label. I mean, um, I always, get i always feel like i get that mixed up with life force even though they're much different labels uh yeah. you know but, uh, no but but life force was like a german label yeah yeah mm. for sure i mean and they put out a lot of similar stuff as far as you know the, the metal influence hardcore is concerned or whatever but yeah um, um so yeah hit me with uh in your next uh selection well before um I, I mean i know you i guess probably had some hand in the turmoil uh kind of reunion i guess that's kind of what it was around that time because they were kind of inactive and then yeah that was kind of like they came back i uh, i will i will take yeah. full i will take full pride and credit in that because yeah. uh that was something that i when i started working at century media i was always just like gosh turmoil does not get their due and like they uh, still don't no <laughs> a lot of their a lot of their records were going out of print at century media and so i kind of uh, I took up a one man crusade in that place to be like, all right, let's see if we can do this. And so I was trying to sign their other band kiss of death. Um, it was like the vocal, mm-hmm. yeah, they actually, yeah, yeah. they put it out in tribunal funny enough. Um, mm. but, uh, yeah. So I, I basically just became friends with them and then just kept the bug in their ear and then, you know, gave them, I think it was, uh, they recorded three new songs for that discography that century media put out. And I just basically got them some cash and they recorded it and then they played some shows and I was really happy that, you know, I could push them to that, that, that spot. And it, it was, yeah, they're so good. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I bought that when that was, that came out that I guess discography kind of was what it was. I mean, was that, you said it was, so it was like three new songs, three new songs and, and then process. Were the three new songs at the top of that? Yep. Exactly. Okay, because like the first track is the one that and this is where I was telling you I was like I will not remember song titles, but where that uh, that album where it starts out with the what the fuck? Yeah, process. Um, of, yep. It's like fuck. Oh, like it's brutal. It's just ah, oh, uh, so good. Yep. Yeah, but I guess that that kind of ties into my next pick in a way because this guy was in everything. Yeah. Uh, but premonitions of war left in Kowloon was like a big one, and I. I feel like you could sort of almost mark them as kind of like a precursor to what people would maybe consider like deathcore on certain yeah. realms, depending. Uh, but I mean, they had that split with like Benum, uh, and they were just like such an interesting band because it was like heavy as fuck, but still kind of like grindy. So it was like kind of like red chord, but they, you know, weren't so much into it was like technical enough you know um so that was like a huge one uh yeah you know? and i feel like that band definitely didn't really like hit where probably people like black market was maybe expecting uh but it, they toured a decent amount around that time yeah they they totally worked there yeah because uh, yeah, i mean 
I I got intro to that band because they were totally the you know hot band on every label's radar during that time, and so you know them, the Red Chord, uh, from a second story window, all yes. of these bands of that ilk were you know all the uh, all the labels were talking to them, and so I got to know them professionally first, but then you know uh, taken played a couple shows with them, and then I became pretty close with the guitarist Mike, and uh, just watching them you know, whatever tour with whoever they could get their hands on that was heavy. And then, um, but yeah, I just think it was ultimately, I think it was them putting it out on victory was really kind of the, um, you know, the, the death knell for that band, not because victory did a bad job, but it was just like, if they ended up signing with, you know, relapse or century media or metal blade, I do think that that could have pushed them to a crowd that would have, you know, maybe just embrace them a bit more. And it wasn't just this, you know, random, you know, band on victory that, uh, yeah. Yeah. I remember when left in Kowloon, um, actually left in Kowloon was on victory, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. 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 And then after that, the one after I have both of those, the, the kind of EP, I think that it was after they did, it came on black market. Yeah, and uh, they also well they put out an EP on Goodfellow as well before they signed to Victory. So they had like they had, uh, okay. they had a self titled EP that came out, and then they put out uh, an EP. It's like True Face of Panic, I think that came out on on Goodfellow, and then um, then Victory came out. But then then I think what you're talking about with the you know new vocal or the shifted lineup and stuff like that was what uh, they did on Black Market. Yeah, and I'm trying to think uh, was. I'm trying to think if I'm getting like singers mixed up because if Nate, I figured out his name is Nate Johnson. You're but right. I don't know if he's yep. the guy that was the Premonitions of War singer originally, or if he's the guy that replaced. He's the guy that. Yeah, you're right. He's the guy that because he replaced. was. He was yep. his whole. I feel like Nate Johnson's whole oeuvre. <laughs> I don't know why I picked that word. <laughs> Love uh, it. But was replacing original singers, so. I I swear that there was an announcement where Nate Johnson was going to be the singer in Burnt by the Sun. I believe because the singer of Burnt by the Sun had moved. Uh, and they really wanted to do stuff. But then nothing materialized. But also, if Nate Johnson was involved, uh, you know, that kind of makes sense. Um, I wish I remembered, the I guess, the original singer of... Uh, Permissions of War. Yeah, uh, I can't. I can't remember his name either, and that's that's terrible because I played. Chances yeah, because he was. I feel like okay, like so the the reason I kind of mention it is like I mean, Nate Johnson can do it. Like he could definitely do that era of stuff. But like that left in the left in Kowloon singer, um, like just had that little extra something. Like it was you know a little bit higher pitch. So there's just something kind of kicking through, kicking through. I think. With some of Nate Johnson's stuff, it was like so guttural, especially on like not as great recording like that EP was. It kind of gets, it's just so bellowy, uh, you know, that it kind of like misses that yeah. uh, thing, you know. But, you know, and that guy, he ties into turmoil. Nate Johnson does as well, right? I th- I think at one point they announced that he was going to be doing vocals for them, but I, I they don't really. Oh, they didn't release anything. I think that they were just trying to figure something out, but nothing for I'm starting to feel that this was all like a, a mid two thousand dream. <laughs> or maybe this was like a mid two thousands like meme. Like you know, like it's kinda like <laughs> a meme you know, before it was a meme. Yeah, because there was because then he joined 
after he, I think, I think basically the thing was he joined Premonitions of War, left Premonitions of War to go to Turmoil, and none of this is facts. I don't know if this is the actual timeline. Um, then from Turmoil, he went to Through the Eyes of the Dead, and then after he left Through the Eyes of the Dead, he was then fit for an autopsy. Yeah, you're right. Around that point, I was. No, nah, I don't. I don't know what fit for autopsy sounds like. I don't mean them any ill will, but you know, it's like. And then I think from fit for an autopsy, he like joined another band. And then the term that was around was you got Nate Johnsoned. So it was like, it was a term that it, you know. So maybe there were other bands around that time, like Burnt by the Sun. It was like they didn't actually have a singer, so they would just make a joke about Nate Johnson. That's my theory now. Is that these were just 2005 memes? It, yeah, um, he, yeah. He, he sang for every metalcore band from 2003 to 2007. <laughs> I think if I think that's a fact. Yes. I, I would. I think that we should stamp that. Yep. Get it notarized, and done. that would just be the word. Done and done. That's so, perfect. <laughs> so yeah. So that brings you to a next Nate Johnson band on yes. your list. Yes. He. Uh, well, actually, this. I'm trying to think if they when this record came out. No, this predated Nate Johnson's reign of reign of. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't alive yet. Supremacy. No. Because uh, yeah. So the next record is uh, Focal Point: Suffering of the Masses. Um, this uh, came out on Tooth and Nail. Oh man, I want to say like 97, 98 probably because I, I bought it new and that was when, you know, I was full, mm. full on anything solid state tooth and nail. I mean, yeah, solid state specifically, I was going to buy it like almost, you know, I didn't even need to hear it and I was going to buy it. Yeah. Um, but focal point was just that sweet spot of like, okay, this is basically the one king down earth crisis of Christian metalcore. Um, but they were talking about, um, you know, their faith and, uh, you know, how people were sinners and like all the stuff that I was like, Oh heck yeah, man, I'm into it. (laughs) I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving this. Um, I feel like they're another band that I missed or were they a Southern California band? They were Northern California. They, they, yeah, they came up around the same time as like Will Haven and Deftones. Um, and then some of the guys from focal point went on to being training for utopia and, you know, basically, Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, but it was weird because they also put out a seven inch prior to them signing to tooth and nail or solid state on uh, life sentence records, which was funny because it's like life sentence was not really something that ever trafficked in, in Christian hardcore. Um, but the, they, but they did put out a focal point seven inch and an overcome seven inch, which is like, Oh, okay. That's just what they yeah. were doing. But, uh, I, yeah. I feel like I really missed the era of metalcore on vinyl in the first iteration of it because when i got into it everything had completely shifted to cd like there was like there was no way as far as i know uh to get most of the stuff that i've mentioned on vinyl like i don't think burnt by the sun or you know or premonitions war came out on vinyl i wouldn't no imagine they did well the burnt by the sun record i think yeah, the Burt by the Sun record did, um, just because Relapse, you know, always champion. Relapse, yeah. yeah, they always champion vinyl. But yeah, uh, Premonitions Award definitely did not. Yeah, so I mean, that's an interesting time where, like, even like you know, bands like Haymaker and stuff like that, where you could get them on vinyl, I assume, and stuff like Adamantium, maybe yeah. yep. that was on vinyl. Yep, Indecision, uh, Indecision Records definitely always loved vinyl. So, but yeah, it it was, yeah. it definitely, especially too, when you're talking about. Um, you had to be a band of a certain size to kind of warrant the vinyl treatment. You know, you couldn't, 
you couldn't just be like, oh yeah, of course. Like, you know, we're, when we're releasing a new record from a band, we're going to put out multiple formats. It's usually like, yeah, we're just putting out the CD of that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I think even sometimes with labels nowadays, people should probably kind of think about that. You know, it's like, is every band a vinyl band? Yeah. You know, but so, I don't know. Finals end. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> different <laughs> conversation. It is. It is. Uh, what's your uh, what's your, so, what's your what's your third item on the list, my friend? Um. So okay. So I guess we both kind of picked four when we said three, but the next one is Martyr A.D. on Earth as it is in Hell. Um. And I re-listened to this record, and I still th- I still think I like it. Like oh okay uh, yeah, and I still think it holds up. And I don't know if some of it is like the disembodied connection for me, but I mean, I didn't listen to the whole record, but I put it on for a few songs and was like, this still, this still hits, uh, for me. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if I'm hitting it with, you know, um, I don't think it's like a record that really hit me in the same way as even that Premonitions of War or Burnt by the Sun, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, it was like heavy at the time and, um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I guess you can't control what you like. I mean, it kind of had a slightly evil, yeah, kind of cover on it, and was heavy, but it had straightforward breakdowns, and but it went into a little fast part, so you weren't always like dealing. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, it had it picked up? You know, it wasn't like like Black My Heart and stuff. Like some of those bands, like they're mid tempo, like Too Pure to Die. It's like. Right, always stays in. Well, there's there's are probably the metalcore bands that sat more on the hardcore side. Uh, I don't know much about Martyr AD other than you know, and so I think you didn't agree. No, I did not agree. I could not. I could not get into that record. Uh, I didn't care for the band in general. Um, it was. I I don't know whether. I mean, the first full length on Ferret, people were losing their minds over, and they came out here yeah. with Poison the Well. And the show was crazy. You know, people are just, they just love the band. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, cause I think they, they had different, a different singer from each record. Um, the, the, cause the uh-huh. vo- I think the vocalist on the ferret record, the, uh, was different than the one on this record that you speak of that came out of victory. I think by the time that they signed to victory, a lot of the wind was out of the sails, um, f- just from a, uh, sort of business music industry perspective. Like they still had some heat, but it wasn't as uh, prevailing as what I think uh, they had previously on, you know, whatever, six months to a year after they released uh, the first ferret full length. Um, but yeah, I just, I just never messed with the band. I just couldn't musically. I was always like, that's cool. But the, vo- the vocals were something that I could just never really, uh, really get into. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. I don't know. Do you feel like? I mean, I guess enough time has passed. Maybe. Um, do you feel like the, is there anything kind of loaded up into that, along with like just personal things? Uh, uh, I think uh, not. Not really. Not like uh, I'm trying but, to out things right here. No, no, I know. I appreciate that. I'm trying to out beef. There wasn't. Um, yeah, there wasn't anything like because it wasn't like I looked at them and was like, oh my gosh, like. I'm jealous of their success or anything like that. It was just a matter. Oh, I guess I mean like even, um, like do you, okay. So do you feel like, did you hear like, were they not great people? Do you, you know what I mean? Like, like sometimes it's like, 
your vision, your, your thoughts on a band might be like, well, I heard these people are, and I'm not saying they are or not, but it's sure. like, you kind of go, you kind of go, I heard this. And then sometimes that, you know, fucks it up with me for certain bands. Yeah. Uh, Cause I'm just like, I, I can't get past this. Like, yeah. You know, so yeah. No, no. I don't know that, if they had that reputation and I didn't no, realize it, you know. No, no, no. That band definitely did not have a reputation that preceded them um you know in a negative light or whatever. So, yeah, I just, just taste. I, just taste. Just taste. Yeah, I just I remember hmm. I, I think I just zigged when everyone else was zagging because a lot of people yeah. just loved that first full length and were riding hard for it and I was just like, yeah, man, I'll just listen to Disembodied. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like some of these bands um uh, you know, even I feel like Martyr AD did, and from my recollection, like it, it feels like it did kind of disappear, you know, kind of quick. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, it was like there, it hit, it was, you know, uh, I don't know what that was. I mean, I don't know what kind of touring they did around that time or uh, I think what off, they really got. I think off the, the victory release, it definitely wasn't, um, wasn't as much, um, cause I, I it was it was also such a tough time for bands of that nature to uh, enlist trusted people to work with them, whether it's management, whether it's like booking agents. Like that was still the time where a lot of bands were kind of trying to figure out how those people could be helpful from a business perspective, you know. Or they ended up working with a person who you know might have had some success in a different you know music genre and they're just like oh yeah like of course i can book your band or whatever and like you know they end up you know doing them a disservice and putting them out in the road with like you know a bunch of new metal bands or whatever and then uh not that, i mean i'm not saying this. that could have easily happened yeah because uh, i could see them you know even like uh bands like Diecast and stuff like that i don't know if you remember them um like the bands that kind of started getting lumped almost with like they would get thrown on like new metal tours and i don't know if that happened to martyr ad but i could see it happening yeah um uh, for sure you know and i don't know i'm trying to think what year uh on earth as it is in hell came out because uh, i think that could probably tell us like where maybe the kind of scene was headed yeah. around that time yeah uh, and kind of like maybe why that record didn't you know kind of hit for right. certain people because i thought from my recollection um uh, i feel like things were kind of changing um uh, you know to a little bit um uh, trying to also figure out when this record came out uh, so i mean they formed in 99 uh and why does it say associated acts seven angels seven plagues like who Love that band. They yeah. broke up in 2005. Yeah, that came, the On Earth is, is 2004. Not, 2004, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, there was definitely a time where they, they were kind of switching over at that point. Yeah, because I feel like, I mean, 2004 to 2006 was when I was in a metalcore band. Um, and I know I never got to play with them. And kind of any tour, I was kind of in a band that was like, any tour that came through town, you would maybe get on it you know because there just weren't a lot of choices i guess you know um so it was like we played with like you know misery signals and black my heart and burn in silence and embrace the end oh, yeah. uh you know and even good clean fun um even though we probably had no business to but i always like stuff like that but you know i don't know where martyr ad fit into that i guess certain things just don't stick yep uh, but sure. I mean, I feel like as I've revisited it through the years, cause I have a CD booklet that kind of has, it's like my taste around that time. You know? <laughs> and so it's like funny to see like, then it was like 
I have a Kanai CD in there. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, I was really into like prosthetic stuff around that time too. And like started getting heavily into like, I think the reason my taste kind of shifted was like going into like relapse type stuff, but sure. you know, I guess you're, you're next in your pit. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, to your point, you just add kind of layers where it's like you get obsessed with a certain thing for a certain period of time and then you just start to, you know, desire either something softer or heavier or whatever. And then you just kind of add, add, add from there. Yeah. I have like a, a band and I'll mention it later cause I think it goes there, but that kind of like felt like it made me switch, you know, sure. I kinda, you know, but yeah, I'm interested to hear your next. Yes. This is also another, uh, a life sentence release, um, a band called excessive force. The, uh, the record's called in your blood. It actually just got re-released on vinyl via some random label in France that I saw. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, so they, they were banned from Orange County, the Orange County area, the vocalist of excessive force actually ran life sentence records. So he was, you know, very pivotal. His name's Dan Gump. Um, I've actually been trying to have him on the podcast at some point. Um, he, uh, he was a very polarizing figure here in Orange County. I, I mean, I didn't know him and I never saw excessive force because basically by the time that I got into them is right when they were disbanding because he joined the Marines or the Navy, some branch of the military. But, um, they pre the band that they played in prior to this was called full contact. And some of my friends, uh, played in that band as well. But, um, yeah, excessive force was just like everything that, you know, my 16 year old brain wanted as far as like metallic hardcore, super, super aggressive straight edge lyrics. Um, just, and you know, just unapologetic as far as like, you know, they didn't actually sing this, but like, you know, if you're, if your mother smokes, like, you know, you, she's, she's fine to pass away. It's just like, you know, that sort of sentiment. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just Uh, sonically, just so heavy. And like, I just, I still listen to this record and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. It doesn't, I could probably listen to it in 20 years and still be like, oh yeah, sounds perfect. Great. I have, I have so, all of these I get to write down and, you know, experience for the first time. So Torn Apart, Focal Point, and Excessive Force. Oh yeah. Yeah. And these are all bands that I'm not familiar with and they were also on Life Sentence record. Records. Sorry, say that again. Excessive. Were they on uh, life sentence? Yeah, they put it out on life sentence as well. And so, oh, okay. they, and they didn't. Uh, yeah, they, only one full length. They've had a seven inch prior to that. Um, but yeah, and they, you know, I, I they're relatively popular around here. And then I think they did one U.S. tour. I think maybe. Oh, okay. I def- guess that kind of makes yeah. sense. Why it didn't make its way? Yeah. Over. I mean, that stuff's easier nowadays. You can kind of hear about things, but you know, geography was definitely a big part of it, you know, around that time frame, especially with some of the ones you're mentioning are, uh, I guess more late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I felt, I felt like with these records, it was definitely just very reflective over like a lot of these records you can't even find except on, you know, Mediafire or whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever file sharing link you can find anymore. Cause some of these records just, yeah, they just don't exist anymore. So have fun. <laughs> well, you can find them on like YouTube and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, they sound like really cool Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, like excessive force yeah. <laughs> and full contact. Yeah. Full contact like, was the band before. I know. Yeah. It's very, yeah. I didn't think about that. Those are all very solid action movie names. Yeah. Those are great like i want to watch those movies right now but they're not movies they're bands that yeah i am also excited so it's like am i more excited to check out this band or the name that makes me think that it's the probably fake, a schwarzenegger movie. movie that 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I love band names like that. Yeah. I love, uh, I love them too. What's your, uh, can you, can you close your list out? You can, uh, you know, br- bring up the, uh, the, the final four out of four. Yes. So my final is a band that I don't think this band is age well, or I don't hear anyone talk about them. And I think they did it to themselves. Uh, so I was really into a perfect murder when they first came out. And, uh, there was an album actually before the one I'll mention that, um, I think probably why they got on victory, another victory band. So a perfect murder, um, ceased to surf, ceased to suffer, uh, was the album. And I don't know. It's just like, it was like metalcore, but there was guitar work going on, you know, and they had, you know, at least one of the guitar players, um, you know, kind of had the chops that kind of, for me personally, you know, kind of like tied it to something, uh, you know, so, I mean, that record was really big to me. Uh, yeah, they, de- they definitely never, I, yeah, they came out here once or twice. And, um, I mean, I, I played a couple shows with, uh, with them and, and taken, uh, up actually in Montreal. So I got to see them, you know, at their hometown and stuff. And they, yeah, they were, I, I think what they suffered from was the fact that they, um, you know, they just always had this kind of evolving sound where it's like each record sounds a little different than the last. And I think it was yeah. like alienating enough to, you know, not keep carrying fans over, even though, you know, theoretically their records don't sound, you know, that like all that different, but that one, I don't know if it's the last one, but the one that they had one where they went full Pantera and it had a different singer on it. Yep. And that one, like I remember just being with friends and being like, but I like Pantera. And so I should like this, you know, and then kind of like you reasoning with it. Cause you've spent like $10 or something and still right. at that thing. We're like, guess I'm going to have to like it. Right. Yeah. You know? Uh, but cease to suffer like definitely was like a big one to me. And I can't remember the album after that. Um, unbroken. Yes. Unbroken yes. was a big one too. I think like cease to suffer was definitely like, yeah, for me, like it was like they're doing something and, uh, they make me, they made me think of, and this is probably connections I made later on, but like, they, I mean, they sound a lot like God below. Uh, oh yeah. Good call. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it was like, cause the earth crisis, this is like members of earth crisis, correct? Uh, perfect. Well, God below was perfect. God below. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and a perfect murder was from Montreal. And I know that some of those guys had like a band they did before a perfect murder. Um, cause I think the brainchild of that band was really the guitar player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at some point, cause after the singer left, um, cause they replaced him with this other guy. Um, but then at some point that singer left and then the guitarist just became the singer. I remember was what happened. It was kind of like, if we can't keep a singer, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think he sang in the band that he did before a uh, perfect murder. Uh, but I believe the kind of like the, the press release of it around uh, probably around unbroken uh, that still has that same guy but that guy left to just he needed to stay as like a gym teacher he's like a gym teacher in montreal um i believe was the thing yeah uh, you know uh, and yeah i don't know it's just like a really big record to me and i think got me into stuff like god below and i remember i got the god below record on vinyl and i found it at this local record store and i was like holy shit you have this god below record and the store owner was like 
okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for you being know, excited. Uh, yeah. And then like, we was like, Oh, I was super excited about it. And then like months later, cause he had, uh, he, at the old store, I'm actually in a band with him now. Uh, he was always like the older, older, a little bit older guy that, uh, the record store owner guy and he plays drums and late bloomer. Uh, you know, it was like trying to impress him, you know? Uh, and it was like, Oh, he's not in the guy below. Uh, but you know, it was like in the window, like he had, he had like strings hanging down and there were like vinyl records hanging in the window, like kind of like a mobile or something. Um, and I looked at him one day and realized that all of the records hanging were all God below records. And which just like, cause, but I was so excited that I got this God below record for, and I was like, I've never seen, I didn't even know this came out on vinyl. And then there were like 10 Goblo record just hanging from the window. Uh, so good. So that's like basically my taste in a nutshell. Just, <laughs> yeah. Like I ride hard for like $3 records. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Hey, man. Uh, every, everyone has after a corner. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that some of this stuff um, will come back. You know, maybe eventually that Goblo record will like come back around and then I can like sell it for like. Fifty dollars or something. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, <laughs> see, not even. I don't want to go too high. I don't no. want to be too irrational. No. Uh, but you know, I feel like tying a perfect murder and God blow uh, together is is a. Uh, it's appropriate. You know, I, I like it. <laughs> yeah. And I saw they they did a tour. I think it was with Undying. I believe it was like the last. It was the last Undying show, and I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I live now. Um, and a perfect murder open and i think i had seen them before but they had like the different singer and this was kind of during the pantera era and it was just like they just cleared out the room as they did like the most that most recent record that i oh, can't yeah. even, it had like a new orleans that that uh what is the the thing that the fleur de leaf yeah exactly yeah uh, that was like the album cover and it was just like you guys are not like they're they're from Montreal one, which I guess you know there's the French tie in there, so it's not you know totally, but it was yeah war. I think it was War of Aggression. I think that was the record. Yes, yeah, that's the record. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. And it was just that was so. Did you remember that? Oh just, yeah. Oh no, for sure. It it just was like oh props, mad like, props. Yep. On just remembering that, that's insane. Huge, uh, huge shit. <laughs> but it's funny. I feel like the ones that I mentioned were all like pretty big label records i mean um it's crazy to think like how much victory records like yeah shaped my kind of time frame of that and now like looking back it's you know it's almost like a punchline sometimes with victory records but i mean i remember like my brother because uh, he was into like hardcore stuff if it was like hardcore like he, he was in the sick of it all he's in the strife but he didn't really he didn't really mess with like metalcore stuff like it was not cool to him and so he brought that one strife record home that was on uh victory the one with like the army men on it why can't i ever remember the name of that one uh the one with the army men on the front uh a comp on victory no the strife album oh oh uh, anger means anger means i know yeah. it has like some kind yeah, of yeah. new metal-ish kind of right. album title yeah. uh i don't remember hating it but I don't listen to it now, so no, I don't know if it says that, anything. No, that I well, yeah, they don't. Stripe doesn't play any songs off Anger Means anymore. I mean, that okay. definitely is a very uh, 
Um, no, I mean, I doubt they're, uh, you know, not proud of the record, but it definitely just, you know, it didn't resonate to where they need to bring up those songs in a live setting anymore, you know? Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, well, the, even for the time frame, I thought the album art was not the best. And I, and I feel like every, when you mention this, especially since it's on a podcast, it's like, I could just think of like Rodney, isn't that one of the guys in the band's name or Andrew, uh, listening to this and being like, Yep. what's that guy's address you know uh you know like just come find me and kick my ass you know but it's like i don't even remember for the time frame if that was good art yeah at that time. <laughs> you know and that's a, it's like good, it's like some of it yeah some of it you're like i'll excuse it because i know where it came from i know the context yeah you know? right totally <laughs> so so your next album is yes strife anger me yes strife anger me. <laughs> that would that would have been per- perfect transition <laughs> Uh, my, my last record, and this is one me just like completely, uh, fan slash friend service, uh, curl up and die. Unfortunately, we are not robots. Um, I could not be more invested in this band. Like I I literally own every t-shirt they've ever printed as far as the design is concerned. I like, you know, some of my best friends, but this record, I just remember how, uh, proud I was of them for creating this thing. Cause it was just, you know, the, the record came out 2002, 2001, 2002, probably. And, you know, they recorded with Kurt Ballou. Um, just everything that these guys had been working towards, they were able to accomplish it. And, um, you know, had, had a good head of steam going on for themselves and people seemed really engaged with them. Um, but in, you know, and I, I know a certain, uh, type of person still rides hard for this record and people, you know, ask Krulp and I to play a reunion show and whatever. Um, but the record I, I think just gets short shrift. Like people just yeah, don't, definitely. yeah, they don't mention it in the same breath as, you know, many other records where it's just like, Oh, well, yeah, if you like coalesce or converge, like you absolutely would like curl up and die. And so I, yeah, that, yeah. that was kind of a style of music of that, that ilk that was just a little harder for me to get my hands on where I lived. And I feel like anytime I could get my hands on it, I really like that stuff. So I think like if I had lived in your neck of the woods, uh, then my list would be completely different. Like these were things where it was like, I don't know if I could find a curl up and die CD at my local record store. Um, you know, like it was easy to, I mean, it's, uh, it was obviously easy to find victory stuff. You know, but like, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what label that came out on. Um, you know, or, you know, do you remember, I mean, I guess you probably know what label that was on. Uh, yeah, it was on Revelation. I, that's also the weird thing too, because Revelation is such a big thing to me now. Right. <laughs> but I don't feel like I could really get Rev stuff. I I guess it was probably just my record store locally wasn't ordering stuff from there. Um, you know, because yeah. it wasn't, is it? you know yeah no so i i i think it, that was also a weird time for rev because they were kind of trans, they were figuring out what they wanted to do with the label because you know they had kind of not done what they had traditionally done for a long time and they were actually you know employing i mean they put out false silent records and they put out buy a thread records and just a bunch of weird stuff during that time that um yeah. you know and they, they you know signed drowning man and put out their stuff and i think it was just uh it was hard for the label to really you know, they, they did what they could from a promotional aspect, but I, I think a lot of the, um, you know, the long view on the early 2000s rev stuff that got put out, it was very much like 
if, if it didn't fall into the traditional context of what Rev was known for, uh, a lot of it just gets kind of, you know, forgotten. And that was before the kind of youth crew revival stuff probably really hit. Correct? Or, I mean, I'm trying to think the years of like in my eyes and stuff. Uh, that, that's I'm getting no, no, the that, time frame. No, that was around that time, but it was, it was very much, um, you know, it just that, probably wasn't what I was tapping into. And my brother was more about that stuff. Um, cause he had moved like out West and I mean, I know in my eyes is more, uh, you know, it's East coast, but, um, like he was always more tapped into that. Um, and I, I, the, the, I had a note on my thing. It was just said, defining my brother, forging my own identity. Um, so I guess I was just writing my own metalcore lyrics. Uh, but it was, I think there was like a thing when I knew like, like as a youngest child, it was kind of like you need, I need to forge my own identity. It was like, you know, and so I think that's what also got me into like metalcore stuff. Cause it was, it was like me and my brother are pretty close in age. So we were always into the same thing. But like, as he moved away, it was kind of like, who am I now by myself? You know? Um, and so that was like, I think a big distinction of like why I got into a lot of the metalcore stuff. Um, yeah. was because of that but you know he would have been more tuned into like rev around that time uh but then i think at some point it's funny because like we kind of shifted like i feel like he's into like heavier and crustier stuff now and then i'm more into rev stuff now right you know and you know and it's like he knows about it because that's where he was because he was really into like miles away and um you know like uh you know, like any of the kind of youth crew revival stuff around that time. But I was just like, that's too melodic, you know, like give me a breakdown. Right. You know, but like I'm way more apt to be that now. So I guess just the point of like totally missed like the boat on so many good like rev stuff. Like, you know, like I loved what I could get my hands on with Curl Up and Die, Um, you know, or any of the bands that kind of like hit that thing, you know, hit that kind of frequency, I guess is the way to put it. Um, there's like it's like almost spazzy but heavy and they're not doing like spazzy in the sense of like you know kind of like a daughtersy kind of thing it was like its own thing uh, so i don't know yeah it didn't really hit around here as much unfortunately i, re- I really regret it <laughs> yeah well uh, you you i mean a lot of a lot of times you're definitely just vic- victim to circumstance of whatever your scene is kind of fostering and so yeah, it, it, I, I completely understand where you're coming from from that perspective. Yeah, so. I mean, and like three, like four hours away from where I grew up, now where I live in Charlotte, you know, stuff like Prayer for Cleansing was like really big, um, you know, and then, uh, you know, like I said, Aria um, and, you know, Glass Castle. So these were all like pretty, like definitely heavier bands. Um, and, you know, like Beloved was like a big thing around here. And, you know, they were a really melodic band, but they're also like, go straight into like metalcore breakdowns uh totally you know so in like hopes fall actually the uh adam from hopes fall lives like a few houses down from me and at the you know go to his house after i'm done with this nice um (laughs) so it's you know it's it's funny uh now but you know that all kind of shifted i think like where it ties back into like the burn by the sun thing i think actually a big record that sort of like you know i was like looking and trying to, I guess, not get out of it, but I was like moving, I was moving from Wilmington to Charlotte and it's kind of like, you know, kind of like, do I want to keep being in this? Um, you know, you kind of get to an age where you're like, I'm kind of tired of getting kicked in the head for no apparent reason, you know, (laughs) 
like, you know, I don't know how like violent the scenes were, uh, where you were growing up. I mean, I feel like from my recollection of metalcore and Southern California, it was pretty violent. Uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of the stuff gets mythologized, but I mean, yeah, there's, there's, yeah. there's not fights at shows anymore, but there were definitely fights at shows in the early two thousands. Yeah. And that kind of turned me off of it. And I, you know, I kind of started kind of getting out of it some, um, and then like, you know, like I remember when that one municipal waste record came out and I was like, Dave Witt plays in this. And that was like, you know, a huge shift for me. It was like, people are doing this. Like, you know, you didn't, it didn't feel current, you know, and that was, you know, like a big shift to like kind of get more into like thrash stuff. And, um, that kind of like led to like the bands that it was in like fast punk bands and then like, you know, faster hardcore bands for a few years. Um, you know, so that was kind of the next identity shift away from metalcore, but I guess, you know, metalcore kept going. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it will, and, it, it will always yeah. be, it will always be a viable option. And I think it will, um, all, all to do is just kind of ebb and flow like it always does. And, but I think, uh, I mean, as, all music is cyclical and, uh, you know, hardcore metalcore is no exception. And all you're going to do is just see different iterations of it. And, you know, as long as people, yeah. as long as people look back and take those influences, then all they're doing is just, you know, making their own version of whatever it is that metalcore is defined as in 2018 now, you know? Yeah. And I, I know you had on your. I'm gonna I'm gonna call you out on something you had on your list, and that was a big thing for me too. Was unearth. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, Sings of conscious is that yeah. what that one's called? Yeah. Uh, they were they're a big band. Like I definitely was super into, and I'm not ashamed to admit a lot of that time frame. Like a lot of the bigger bands of that time, which unfortunately I guess like unearth has kind of like fallen off now. Um, you know, and I don't, I think like that period though, like stings of conscious, but I was also into like, what did they call it? in like the press, it was like the, the new wave of American heavy metal was that? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> shadows, shadows fall, kill switch engage, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But it was like, when I first heard like Lamb of God, I had no reference uh, for it. Like it was, uh, I'm trying to think what record that would have been. Maybe new American gospel, but it was just like, you just go to a CD store and then you're like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. And you're like, what is Lamb of God? Maybe I'm listening to a Christian band. Um, I didn't know. And I was kind of like kind of transitioning out of like going to church with my parents. So it was kind of like, maybe this is a Christian band. So, you know, it's kind of like rode the tail, uh, rode that whole wave of stuff too. You know, there was, you know, like Darkest Hour and, um, you know, like, yeah, Kill Switch Engage and uh, (laughs) those bands now that I don't, I don't know, but they were, they were big bands too, but you know, it's kind of like, I don't know if they need to be spoken about. Um, I think people remember them quite well. Yeah. Uh, but and like they, all that remains, you know, that was a big yeah. band until they became like right wing Nickelback. Yeah. Well, uh, they, yeah, they still, they still are quite huge, but yeah, I mean, and that was kind of why I was like, unearth doesn't, you know, maybe they, that record doesn't get thought of anymore, but you know, that record, uh, you know, that, that band, you know, influenced a lot of bands of that scene and then, you know, started, many other different people's, uh, you know, train of thoughts in regards to what they can do with, you know, metal and hardcore and stuff. And, you know, they just became more metal as the time went on, but you know, they accomplished a ton during their career. I mean, they're on Warped Tour right now. It's nuts. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those bands kind of shifted, um, you know, kind of to be more metal bands, I guess, probably like as they got comfortable, they had more money in the recording studio or, you know, 
uh, you kind of get a little, you know, as you start touring, you're a little bit unattached, I guess, from like those scenes. And so you don't have to just play breakdowns nonstop. Uh, yeah, for you sure. know, so, uh, you know, but that's kind of where I guess I went and kind of got out of it. Like as you kind of get out of that scene, you're kind of like, there's a big world out here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to just so, focus on that. You just add, yeah. Yeah. Again, just add I remember being in the car with like any time that I was in the car with my girlfriend that is now my wife, just like listening to like suffocation or, or immolation or like death metal or metalcore, just like nonstop, just like pick her up from school, like where she was going to college and just like only, I can't imagine that now. Like, could you imagine riding down the road with your wife, your partner, just blasting like unearthed? Yeah, no, like, it's, it's, puni- it's, it's punishing. <laughs> it's brutal. Like I, it's, it's just, it's so ridiculous now. And like, I mean, I can still listen to this music, but it's like, just it would be cranking it in the car. Just like, I'm going to listen to this record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think we did it, man. This was, I think uh, we this, did it. This was beautiful. So thank you for, uh, you know, nerding out super hard with me, Josh. I, uh, I appreciate that. Oh boy. That was great. Wasn't it? I, uh, I remember as I was having this conversation, um, you know, my son kept coming into the room in which I was recording and at moments I was like slightly distracted and I was like, man, don't, don't you know, I'm talking about really, you know, sort of, sort of irrelevant hardcore bands, son, can you please leave me alone? (laughs) It's like, what am I doing? I'm an adult. (laughs) Shouldn't I, shouldn't I be doing something different with my time? But you know what? I would rather be no place than talking you know, metalcore with Josh at that particular moment. So thank you very much, Josh, for, uh, wanting to do this and take a trip down memory lane. And, uh, thank you to my son for being patient or somewhat patient because, you know, he did break into the, the recording session, but, uh, yeah, so much fun stuff. And if you like these buried treasure episodes, please email me 100 words podcast at gmail.com. And next week we have a rad guest, Mike Hill from the band tombs also played in anodyne. And, uh, he does a great podcast called everything went black. Uh, we got connected via a mutual friend at my day job, which is really funny because, um, you know, Mike Hill, like he's been sort of a, a heavy music lifer and, uh, you know, him and I, we, we get to the bottom of how we met each other, but, um, yeah, it's just interesting when the, you know, sort of real world collides with our, you know, awesome subculture. And you're just like, wait, how do you know this person? Oh, you've been childhood friends with him. It's like Mike Hill. Really? Okay, cool. So, uh, we have a really, really fun chat and, uh, that's next week. Okay. So, yeah, I'll I'll let you go, okay? Well, have a good day, please, and be safe. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.